I apologize for drinking water in front of you, but the medicine I'm on drives me out. I get so dehydrated sometimes. The dehydration made me think of my military history and some of the things that I experienced when I was still on active duty. But the, the history is what gets me because they drive it into your mind while you're at boot camp. And by the time you leave boot camp, everything in your life revolves around that history. And no matter how much time you spend outside of your military experience, you never forget it. It's just like drilled into you. And I was thinking this morning about some of the experiences uh, that our military has had in the life of our country. Back during World War I, the German army was trying to advance into France. And they occupied an area called Belleau Wood. And at that time, the, if I remember my history correctly, the U.S. Army and the French Army were already there combating, but the, the Germans kept pushing closer and closer into the country trying to move into France and take over. They sent in a battalion of Marines or so to assist, and when they got there, the French Army was, as they said, was in full retreat, and the Marines said, Retreat, nothing. We just got here. And they all got together, the French Army, the U.S. Army, and the U.S. Marines, and they engaged battle again. And uh, within a what you would consider a short period of time for a battle, were able to push the German army back out of the woods. Now, if you've ever heard a Marine called a devil dog, that's where they got the name from. The German army said that the Marines fought so ferociously that they were reminded of devil dogs. Um, that's where they got the names from. And then another part of the military history, World War II. There was an island campaign that the U.S. military was engaged in, and they wanted to occupy or, or take over this, these islands in the Pacific in order to have a better chance of defeating our enemies. And one of those islands was called Tarawa. And the Japanese army said of that island that it would take one million Marines 100 years to take over that island because it was so well defended. Well, U.S. Army got together with the U.S. Marines and the U.S. Navy took us all out into the ocean and launched an amphibious assault. And that island that was supposed to take 100 years to take over was captured within three days. And one more point of history. And a lot of people don't know about this one. Anybody ever heard of the Chosen Reservoir? The men who fought there, we honor them by calling them the Frozen Chosen. And I was honored to pastor one of those Marines before he passed. It was during the Korean War. Our forces were, uh, were advancing because they thought that the Chinese were losing. That they were running back to where they come from. And, and as they approached the Chosen Reservoir, what our forces found, a trap had been set. And we had some 30,000 military men automatically surrounded by 120,000 Chinese soldiers. 
temperatures had dropped to negative 36. They were running out of ammunition. They were running out of food. The medical supplies they had, the morphine and, and the, the saving drips and all that were useless because it was so cold that it was freezing them. And they only had one option. And it wasn't to do what they always done because our forces are always taught to assault through the battle. But there was no assaulting through this one. In order to succeed, in order to attain the goal of, of the entire picture, they had to retreat. There was a small opening that, that, that came about that they were able to push through, and they retreated back to the coast to receive help. Now, many will tell you, and so will the army, that we do not retreat. We are just advancing in an opposite direction. That's all it is. And I say all that to say this, that there is a, a bigger picture sometimes than what just happens in, in our own little world. And we can't always live our life just taking care of ourselves, but we have to take care of the people around us. We depend on other people. And it's also to say this, that sometimes in order to succeed in fulfilling the greater picture, we have to change our tactics. Today's passage of Scripture is short. It's only one verse. It comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 27. Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father God, we come before you and thank you again for the opportunity that you've given us to come in this house today. And Father, I just ask that you allow your spirit to, to move around, to touch every heart that comes together here. Open our hearts and minds to receive you. And Father, I ask that you empty me of my own desire, my own will, but fill me with your spirit that every word that proceeds from my mouth would not just be pleasing to you, but would be a word that comes for your throne, for the edification of your church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last week we started talking a little bit about Paul and his experiences. And during the time that he wrote this letter to, to uh, the church in Philippi, he was imprisoned. Now, this wasn't the first time that Paul was put in prison. And actually, what's odd or, or unique to me, I guess you would say, is that he's writing this letter from prison in Rome to the church in Philippi when it was in Philippi was the first time that he was arrested. See, Paul and Silas had, had gone to Philippi, Macedonia, and began preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. At that time, there was a, a young lady, a slave, that was owned by someone, and she was possessed by a spirit of divination. And they would use this girl as a source of income. She would read people's fortune and predict the future for them for a certain amount of money. These people were getting rich off of her. She knew that Paul and Silas was in town and that they were preaching, and for days followed them around harassing them. 
She would go around screaming, these men are, are preaching the, the true word of the Most High God. And she wasn't saying it to declare the truth. She was mocking them as if to say, these strangers have come into our town to, to tell us that, that our gods aren't real. Their God is more powerful than our God. But here's what we remember about this young lady. She was possessed by a spirit not of her choosing. You see, the words that came from her mouth that were mocking God and, and, and mocking the ministers of God were not her own words. It was the, it were the, the words that the evil spirit was speaking through her. She had n- no control more than likely over her body and, and her own voice. And Paul became so annoyed at, at, at this happening that eventually he turned to her and said, Spirit, leave her and leave her now in the name of Christ Jesus. And that's exactly what happened. The Spirit left her, and she was no longer able to provide the source of income for her owners because the Spirit that gave her the power no longer resided in her. And that is why Paul and Silas were thrown in jail for the first time. Those owners became mad. They grabbed them up, ran them through the marketplace, took them to the magistrates and said, these men are here, they're Jewish, and they're teaching doctrine that, that's different than ours, and they're telling us to worship a God that's different than ours. And what happened was the magistrate looked at them and said this, well, you're going to be punished, we're going to strip you of your clothes, you're going to be beaten with rods, then you're going to be thrown in prison. And what happened Sure enough, just what the magistrate said. But the miracle that we see in that is not just that the, the uh, possessed woman was set free, but that God had power to work in the lives of captive people. Paul and Silas weren't in jail no more than a day. When they were taken into the jail, into the most inner cell, where they were locked in the shackles at their ankles, the earth quaked and the shake. The shaking rattled the jail, and the chains of everyone captive were set free. The people had no power over God's will. And that's what we learned. And the people at the church of Philippi knew this. They experienced it firsthand. They knew that that God could perform one miracle after another miracle after another miracle. Then why... Is Paul in prison now? If I was a person in the church of Philippi who witnessed God's power in rescuing Paul the first time and seen other miracles happen in the lives of people, and now I look and see that the same God and the same servant is now suffering, and this time actually facing a death sentence. And I'm looking at his circumstance and the situation, and I'm asking, where is that God now? He set him free once. He cast out demons. He healed people. Why is he not doing it now? And I think that's in part one of the reasons why Paul wrote that letter from prison to the church in Philippi. Because he wants to assure the people that God is just as active today in his life as he was back then. But God works in ways that that we don't understand to advance his kingdom. 
Sometimes we can look back on life and see how God did it. Sometimes we can look into our own circumstance presently and try and figure it out. But God is always, always doing something. And here's what Paul had to say about his circumstance. Whatever happens. Isn't that a a powerful statement? I would love to be able to stand here to you in front of you today and say that whatever happens in my life, I will be pleased with because that's what God willed. But truth is that there are things that happen in my life that, that aren't very comfortable, that, that, that take my life off of the track that, that I want it on. And I don't want to say whatever happens. But what I've come to understand is this, is that, that if I do say whatever happens, then I am surrendering my life to, to God's will at that moment in time. See, if I don't say whatever happens and live by that, what happens is this. You see, this is my belief. I believe that God has a perfect plan, and that plan, if I'm looking at it, goes into a straight line. And on that line, there are hills and there are valleys. And if I get to a point on that timeline that Tommy doesn't like the circumstances, Tommy doesn't like the situation, or, or in just a moment of panic, Tommy makes a bad decision because Tommy wants to control everything. Tommy removes himself from that perfect line that God has him on and creates a longer road for himself. Because, see, now Tommy has to come to understand that, that Tommy's not in control of his life. He can only control how he responds to it. And Tommy has to learn the lesson out here on the sideline of why it's so important to be back on that center line. And then we have to make that journey back over to the center line. And it takes time. Sometimes it can take a day. Sometimes it can take years. It, it depends on what lesson we have to learn in order to bring us back into that right relationship with God. We have to be able to say whatever happens and be okay with it. See, whatever happened in Philippi wasn't the greatest thing. Remember, we, we said that they were a new church in a government that worshipped other gods, idols, that had their own way of life. The churches back then weren't praised as the pillars of community as they are today. People had to fight and suffer and die for the cause of the church back then. And in the midst of all that, after Paul says, whatever happens, he goes on to say this, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And sometimes I look at that and I think about Paul sitting in prison writing those words. I mean, it's kind of difficult, don't you think? That here he is, imprisoned. Granted, at this point, we believe he was under a house arrest, so he really wasn't in a, in a prison. But he was shackled to that house, couldn't leave, and was under guard. Freedom and liberty taken away from him. And then those circumstances. He responds to the people that he loves at the church in Philippi and says this, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Aren't, isn't that a powerful statement? And doesn't it offer a lot of assurance to us? Because we know that they're not just words, that, that Paul was living out those words at the time that he wrote them. He was at a point in his life when nothing worked the way he wanted it to. But he said that I can rejoice in all things because of Christ Jesus. That I can conduct myself in a manner worthy of Christ. Which means that when I look and experience my, my current circumstances, that I don't have to complain about it. That I can praise God for, for whatever goodness he brings to me that day. Paul even goes on to say about those circumstances that he's not even looking or expecting a pleasurable life after this. He's expecting death. And he said this, that, that if I die, that I die to Christ. And if I live, I live to the Word. And what he's saying is either way, it don't matter whether I'm in the world or, or I'm in the kingdom because either way, I'm living for Christ. I choose to be a joyful person regardless of my circumstances. And we as a people, as a church, as a, as a congregation, and as a community, though we are made up of, of different gifts and different talents, we are all one body. And we all contribute to the cause of Christ. See, as Christians, we have one mission. And it's not to build a bigger building. And it's not to see how many likes we can get on Facebook. But it's to preach and teach the gospel of Christ to a lost and dying world. That is our mission. And that is our purpose. I can't do my job without you. Okay? Because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have a job. If there wasn't a congregation, you wouldn't need a pastor. But the church works because of you because of your gifts, your talents, and your abilities. So we have to remember this, that in the very beginning of this letter, Paul said to the saints, to the overseers, and to the deacons. That's who he wrote this letter to. He didn't write it to the pastors and the elders and the bishops. He wrote it to all the saints of the congregation and all the people who have authority within them to encourage them that no matter what happens, respond in a godly manner. If you get everything that you want, don't gloat. Humbly accept and if your road turns to a different path to where you have to, like the military does many times, they have to alter their plans 
in order to fulfill the greater picture further down the road. You don't grumble. We say thank you for every good thing that God gives. What was it Peter said? That all good things come down from the Father of lights. See, I'm going to kind of jump into a, another one of my sermons that's coming up a little bit today. There's a story about a man who was hungry, and he goes to somebody's house, to one of his friends' house in the middle of the night, and he's banging on the door and telling the guy, you know, wake up, wake up, wake up, because I need some bread. And the guy basically kept telling him to go away, and finally, after being annoyed to the point that he couldn't do it anymore, he finally got up and gave the guy some bread. And he didn't give the person bread because he was trying to bless him. He didn't give the person bread because he was kind. He gave the person bread because he was being annoyed by him and he wanted him to go away. And that's just all there was to it. But Jesus goes on to say this, that if you ask of the Father, will he not give you good things? You don't have to, like the guy over here, keep knocking and begging and, and using all your time and energy trying to, to, to do something that, that may or may not happen or trying to do something of God and keep asking him to do something that he's not willing to do, but he might give it to you just to get you to be quiet and go away, or he might give it to you to get you to learn the lesson of what you really want isn't what you need. But if you ask of the Father and believe that what he gives to you is good, no matter what it is, then we can live our life in peace in a manner pleasing to God, allowing God to be our guide and allowing God move our ship into whatever direction he needs. You see, we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we remember that no one does it alone. Truth is, we're going to speak about the church. You are the ones who make the church work, not the pastor. It's you who gives her the time each week to bring music. It's you who gives you your time to make sure the finances are in place. It's you who gives of your time to teach Bible studies or teach children. And it's you who encourage one another along the way. See, that's why Paul wrote this letter, stating specifically to the saints, to the overseers, and to the deacons to offer you encouragement along your path.
stay focused. Love God, love one another, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And remember why we're here. To preach Jesus Christ crucified and to care for one another in the name of Christ. I can't do it without you and you can't do it without one another. Every one of you serve an important part in God's ministry. John, I was going to try and make it to 1130 just so I could say, hey, we've made it to 1130. I don't think I can make it that long. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for the time that you've given us to come together. And Father, as we prepare to close, help us to remember that that we're not in this battle alone, that, that whatever we face in life, we face with you. And that we conduct ourselves and the example that, that Christ showed us in the time that he experienced here on this earth, and, and, and in the example that Paul gave us, when we saw him struggling with his own nature to, to produce the Spirit within himself that would be righteous and pleasing. Help us to remember those examples and to apply them to our lives. Help us to be able to say, Father God, that, that whatever happens, it's okay. Because our love for you and our trust in you is more important than anything that this world has to offer. Help us to stay focused and united in the one mission and carrying out the cause of Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So may grace, mercy, and peace which come from God our Father and from Jesus Christ his Son be with us who live in truth and love. Amen.